heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more podcast platforms. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. And just like that, guys, I'm back with a brand new episode of YWC Football Talk. This is actually episode number 67, and today I have a man on here who needs no introduction at all, Russell Baxter. Russell, uh, welcome back to the program. How are we doing today? We're doing good. So this is your 67th show. Yes. But yet, as we record today, it is 65 days until the 2021 NFL Draft. Ooh, I love to hear that. That's like that's the thing because like you and I were talking off air about like the off season and everything, and like the drafts just one of those like marquee events that like you always look forward to. So I really appreciate that because I even see it in your tweets too. Like I've seen you were doing it before the Super Bowl, now you're doing it for the draft. Like it's just whenever I see stuff from you, it's always like getting fans excited and also to getting people engaged with like uh, accounts from like other football minds and even to uh, fans of certain teams. Well, I'm very fortunate um, because I've done what I've done for a long time. Um, and work with such great people at uh, ESPN and uh, CBS and uh, the other publications, College of Pro Football News Weekly, and what I'm doing now. I, I did Bleacher Report, um, Athlons, um, just about everything. Right now, fan-sided, NFL spin zone, and full press coverage. Um, you know, I, I a lot of those people follow me back, and a lot of the industry people um, like that are on television um, – or we're on television now doing other things and so on. Um, Trey Wingo and Mike Golick and Ed Werner and uh, Susie Calder and, uh, you know, Mark Schloreth. Uh, I mean, I, I know I'm being a name dropper here and so on, but I say that because if you follow me at, at Bax Football Guru, it's an opportunity for you to take advantage of hearing from them. Um, and they're not shy about their opinions, and they're all very, very professional and so on. Um, and, you know, that that's kind of, to me, Twitter is a, uh, a communication advice. I know for some people it's, um, they use it for different ways and means and, and emphasis on means sometimes. But um, for me, it's a, it's an information conduit. And that's why I like doing the, the countdowns and the factoids. And I mean, that's, you know, that's basically the stuff I did when I was doing television. So I, mean, I love my history. I, I love my stats. I love my facts. Exactly. And even too, I always see you just throwing out like who to follow, who to like get in contact with. I saw you actually uh, involved in the Twitter communication with Amy Trask, who I believe her nickname with the Raiders was the Princess of Darkness. Um, well, Amy was, uh, when Julie Voigt and I did our first podcast for PFG Vibe, Amy was our first guest. Oh, Interesting, interesting, yeah, because like I remember, she's now I uh, believe on the CBS, the not their yes. NFL today, but the the pre, I think it's called the pre pre game show, but it's only available on CBS uh, Sports Network because I, I unfortunately don't get that network, but I saw them during the Super Bowls, like her, I think London Fletcher, Kyle Long, but mm-hmm. you basically summarized Twitter up perfectly, like yeah, there's people who use it for negative, but then there's also too, it's this great networking device that like all these football minds, Where's like there's it? all these like football personalities that like I've met through Twitter, including yourself. You gave me a follow, like, I saw you followed me, I followed you back right away, and I was like, I gotta get this man on my podcast, because he looks like he knows a lot about the game. Well, I've been watching for a long time, I've been watching football for over 50 years, um, I've retained a lot of it, like water, and, and it's just kind of stuck in my head, um, and, uh, but 
was fun. I mean, I really enjoy it. I, you know, I was lucky enough to find something um, to do for a living that's not work. It's as like, I say all the time. You know, it's like um, there were there are times where I would sit in a press box in, in at a football game. And I, you know, I, I would turn to people who are, you know, who came to me with the game or even, and I said, now let's think about this for a second. We're up in the press box. Um, we're not getting dirty. We're not getting hurt. We're getting fed for free. <laughs> um, and all we have to do is write about it. I said, no one in here would seriously complain about that, would they? Um, the only thing I could see people complaining about maybe is if they don't like the options in like what catering has provided to them that yes, day. But... I know, and I've dealt with those people, and I and I look at them like, really? Yeah. <laughs> I saw an interview actually on another po- uh, listened to another podcast interview. It was with the Patriots beat writer Evan Lazar, and he was saying how at Super Bowl Fifty Three he was like because the press box apparently cheering is like very frowned upon, like or you're not supposed to be doing it. And there was a moment, apparently he was standing up and basically he just felt like the writer he was next to basically grab him and just pull him down being like, don't do that like that. For me, like, I feel like the, there's a big difference between being a football fan and a football like, reporter or writer, like where you have to let your biases go. And like, as I've actually done this podcast more and more, I always start to see stuff not only from the eyes of a fan, but also too from like the realistic eye. Because when it comes to the NFL, like you have to be realistic. And even that's where I wanted to go and transition because you and I were talking about this off air about how your latest pieces have been about what teams could potentially do in free agency because, as we know, free agency is only three weeks away tomorrow, 4.01 p.m., March 17th. Yeah, yeah, March 17th um, it begins the new fiscal year. Um, and But there's, there's kind of a – I'm glad you brought that up because uh, there's something to keep in mind about free agency. In some ways, it's already started. Um, there are players out there now um, that you can sign. J.J. Watt can be signed now. Mark Ingram can be signed now. Ricardo Allen, the safety from the Falcons who was just cut loose, can be signed now. There's a difference between a contract expiring on March 17th when they become unrestricted free agents and a contract being terminated. A great example last year was Greg Olson. Greg Olson was cut loose by Carolina and immediately signed with Seattle. He was able to do that. That's a difference. So... When you see people saying, well, you have to wait till March 17th, for the large part, that's true. But for the salary cap cuts that are coming up, and they're coming, okay, um, some teams more than others because they have to dump some cap room. By the way, Deshaun Jackson can be signed now. Uh, so, again, a contract terminated is different than an impending uh, free agent. Um, a, gr- a great example of that is, is Tyler Eifert. Uh, there's reports from Ian Rappaport that they are not going to pick up. He signed a two-year contract last year. They're not going to pick up the option for the second year. Okay, He can't be signed now, but on March 17th, he becomes an unrestricted free agent. So there's different ways and means you have to understand um, how free agency works. Um, and it's complex. So I'm not going to try to explain the salary cap. Um, I gave up on that years and years, years ago, but... Uh, that's as complex as it is. And we're still kind of waiting to see what the cap actually will be. We now know it will be at least 180, 180 million, which uh, is 5 million higher than they had forecast. And it might even be higher than that. I mean, there, there, there's TV contracts. Um, you know, we, we haven't officially said there's going to be a 17th game in 2021, but it's very, very close. So 
there's still a lot that's going to happen here in the next three weeks before we get down to one of my favorite terms, um, uh, which is legal tampering. Yes. Okay. Legal tampering, which I equivalent to the great quote from George Carlin, jumbo shrimp. I love, I love the comparison with that. And you also, you taught me something new. Like I didn't realize that if you're already cut, you can sign now. Like other examples who are Alshon Jeffrey and uh, K1 short um, from the Carolina Panthers. Yes. Um, but then a big part of free agency that not a lot of people realize is that a lot of le- like it. We're obviously we're just doing audio right now, but I'm doing the air quotes legal tampering occurs in Indianapolis around this time of year at a couple of nice Indianapolis steakhouses with the combine because a lot of people just realize oh the combine's there to develop talent, but in reality agents go there and be like hey so what do you have on my guy like do you think there's a chance he could end up here 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 or even to like if he p- speaks directly with a coach or a GM. Hey, do you want to sign my player? Like that's something that goes unnoticed. But I do, I do love your little bit tidbit about the salary cap that you gave up on it because there's only select people who know. And the TV deals is another perfect thing I love that you mentioned because if those TV deals kick in, Clark Hunt and the finance committee can then go and determine, hey, we can get this much more because th- those TV deals aren't just a matter of millions; those are billion dollar contracts that the NFL will be signing with the networks, and who knows how that will go. The other thing to keep in mind, too, is, again, the fiscal year begins on March 17th. So even though we have talked about Jared Goff and Matthew Stafford switching teams and Carson Wentz going to the Colts, they are not official yet. Those trades do not become official until March 17th. Yeah, yeah, that's the other thing, too, that a lot of people realize. It's like, oh, hey, Matthew Stafford's on there. It's like, no, he still has to do his physical. Like, there's the terms are agreed upon. It's a handshake right now, but nothing goes into paper officially until March 17th. Right. Well, uh, listen, March 17th, you have to be under the cap. Yeah. And there's some teams that some teams that have to do some whittling and some teams that need a machete. Yes, I, like one of those teams notably is the New Orleans Saints. Who, but Mickey Loomis is a cap wizard, so we'll see if he can perform his magic once again. Um, but you're right, though, because like everything, too, with the owners losing money because of COVID and other things, like it's now is that time where you're um, finicking with the cap because the cap room difference is a difference between who you can sign and who you may not be able to sign. Like that's where teams get a feel for, Hey, what free agents can we realistically go after? And even to was the other thing I was going to say, I feel like you may see some surprise cuts, like how there are those rumors coming out of Denver that Von Miller may get cut simply because of the money lost this year and not knowing what the cap number is at. So I feel like you're going to see a bunch of surprising vets who are going to go to these good contending teams sign, like, you know, those one year bet on yourself kind of contracts to then further pay yourself next year when the cap should be up more around 195, 198, like it normally is. Well, you could also see, and this also happens too, you could see some guys get cut um, and then all of a sudden get brought back. Yeah. Okay, it happened with Robert Jackson, the cornerback for the Browns. He was cut a couple of weeks ago, um, and they just brought him back. Exactly. It's a kind of like... So much, it's so much, there's so much book work. Again, to try and explain this, I would need the 65 days until the draft. And I still get it wrong because, again, it's very, very complex on how it works and so on. But, um, you know, you mentioned the Saints. The Steelers are another team that's got a, a lot of cap issues as well. They're, you know, they're contemplating what they're going to do with their quarterback um, who's, you know, do half the amount of money and so on. They've got guys like uh, Bud Dupree and the Juju Smith-Schuster. Um, James Conner. going to become unrestricted free agents. Bud Dupree to me is a very, very interesting case because – Remember, he got hurt late in the year. Yep. Okay? So the timetable for him being um, re- for recovery is 
it's not like he get hurt in August. He got hurt later in the year. So that's something to keep in mind. Would they sign him uh, to a one-year deal and, and see how it goes and so on? So, um, again, the next three weeks are going to be fascinating. I would say in the next couple of days we're going to probably see a number of cuts. And who's going to get the franchise tag? We're waiting for that as well. Yeah, I think the franchise tag with a lot of teams, that's why they're doing these cap gymnastics now because I don't think we'll know a lot of them until probably closer to the date. That Actually, the window for that opened today. The only player I think I've seen so far who more than likely will be franchised is Justin Simmons from the Denver Broncos. He was franchised last year, and I think they'll bring him back on our franchise because they know, like, hey, we'll do this this year, and then maybe next year when the cap number goes up. That's why. Even to the Ben note is interesting because I believe he's owed... I think it's either... Man, Kevin Colbert's got an interesting offseason ahead of him, but he's got $41 million is his contract right now, but if they cut him, that dead cap is $22 million, which for a lot of teams is not a good sign. Like, you obviously want to look at see, hey... How much money does my team have to spend? But then you're right. There are those teams out there that have to take a machete to the cap. And then there's some who can just like easily navigate it, like the Jaguars, like the Jets and the Patriots, for example. Yeah, there are some teams that always seem to be under. The Colts do a great job with their cap. Um, they always seem to have free aid. And, and one of the reasons is, is they don't feel obligated to go out and spend it. Um, and uh, because they draft so well... And, you know, Chris Ballard, you know, he's got to be one of the top five, top three general managers in this league, even though he hasn't been a full-time GM uh, for even that long. But uh, I was pointing out to Julie today. Um, it's very interesting. I did a piece on the 2016 NFL draft, you know, spurred on by the fact that the top two picks um, have been dealt to other teams. And if you remember, uh, those picks were owned by the Titans and the Browns. Yes. And the Rams and the Eagles did a lot of wheeling and dealing to get one and two, and now both of them are gone. Um, and in fact, be, be it free agency ineffectiveness, um, because, you know, after a while, some of these guys didn't get their 50-year options picked up. They went elsewhere. It's interesting, though, just five seasons in, seven of the top ten picks players, seven of the top ten players picked that year are either with a different team, or in the case of Eli Apple, who was the 10th overall pick, um, without a team right now. Yeah, that's the thing with the NFL draft lot, with the NFL draft, and where I feel like certain GMs get like chastised for it is, oh, you don't draft well in the first round. Like Chris Ballard's a great example. Like Chris Ballard's one of those guys who's really made himself a great executive in this league, where even last year, did something like, oh, hey, we're not going to take our first-round pick, and they brought in DeForest Buckner to help with that defense. Yes. Like, he's built a great offensive line. Quentin Nelson, probably one of the best offensive linemen in the league. Ryan Kelly, they obviously lost Costanzo, so they're going to have to replace him. But, no, the Colts are a perfect example on how to build a franchise. Unfortunately, they did have the uh, mishaps with Andrew Luck's injury history. I feel like if he's still healthy, he'd probably still be in the league. But that's, that's another story on its own. But, no, like you said... It's interesting like, now that Frank Reich... Yeah. For the second year in a row, we'll have a quarterback that he worked with in the past. Yeah, that, that's in San Diego when when Philip Rivers was there, and obviously he was a big part of the Eagles Super Bowl year in 2017 when he was offensive coordinator and Carson Wentz was there. Exactly. Now I had a lot of Eagles fans shaking, saying like, "Oh, we should have kept Frank." Like them losing Josh McDaniels was a very low key blessing in disguise because we don't know how Josh would have worked out as a head coach, and Frank was a guy where it's like. Oh, we don't know how it's going to go, and it ended up working perfectly. Like, the Colts only missed the playoffs in 2019 because they had that fall-off because Jacoby Brissett's play went down. But apart from that, like, they had the game this year where they made the playoffs, almost won the division, 
and surely going into next year, they're going to be a favorite to win the South, unless we'll see what happens with, obviously, the Houston mess that's going on, and then we'll see what happens with Jacksonville, because they have so much to spend in free agency, apart from we'll more than likely we'll getting Lawrence. Tennessee can fix their defense. Yes, that's a big thing, too. And there was yeah. also an ominous post from, I believe his name is not Andrew Thomas. I'm trying to think of the guy's name. The offensive lineman that the Titans drafted last year, where he was saying this stuff like about not wanting to play for the Titans anymore, like not wanting to play football. So the Titans, it's a very tricky situation, if you will. But you're right. that They need a pass rush badly. Yes. Yes, they do. Yeah. So more, more on that in the days to come. Exactly. Because <laughs> they saw, they took a chance with, Vic Be- with Beasley, Clowning obviously didn't work out, but the expression like what you said with the 2016 draft fascinates me because it really does show how many of these draft picks are truly lottery tickets. Like, sure, there's some that you're probably going to hit on, no doubt, but the thing that a lot of the casual fan I don't think pays attention to is is how important drafting on the Friday and the Saturday of the draft are because those I think are where you get the pieces that are going to help you build a winning culture in your city. Well, those are the guys you don't wind up paying a lot of money for for four years. And um, that's why when you see free agency um, beyond the first-round picks, these guys who have hung on and stayed in the league for four years, and listen, that's easier said than done, okay? It's, you know, just because you get drafted, obviously you're no guarantee and so on. But those guys who play for four years and are not first-round draft choices or even draft choices, period, that second contract is the contract for them in a lot of instances, particularly some of the the positions where shelf life isn't as long. A running back, obviously. Remember, Derrick Henry got franchised almost briefly this offseason and then signed a new big deal because the Titans knew what they had. And, you know, for people who are always skeptic about guys getting money and not performing, all Derrick Henry did was run for 2,027 yards and win NFL Offensive Player of the Year. Exactly, and even too, if you look at guys like Travis Kelsey, where people go like, oh, why wasn't he drafted in the first round? It's like, well, because coming out of college, no one really expected anything of him. Chiefs took a chance on him, and now he's one of the best tight ends in the league. So those day two, day three guys always have like an extra chip on their shoulder to like be motivated, especially to the ones who get undrafted. Like, Look at James Robinson from this year, undrafted from Illinois yeah. State, and now is a starting running back for the Jaguars. Oh, yeah. Well, um, a little funny note about being undrafted. Um, Let's see. The Kurt Warner was undrafted and has three of the highest passing totals in Super Bowl history. Okay? In his three appearances. The longest run in the history of the Super Bowl is 75 yards by undrafted Willie Parker of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The longest touchdown pass in the history of the Super Bowl is 85 yards, thrown by undrafted Jake DeLome. And the longest interception return in Super Bowl history is 100 yards by undrafted James Harrison. The most memorable interception probably in Super Bowl history as well, just because of <laughs> just because of uh, him being a bigger guy, being a defensive lineman, and then him just... Booking it down the well, field. Outside linebacker, but like, yeah. kind of a, not a, not a, like, James Harrison, um, the beauty of him was not necessarily the outside speed. It was the leverage that he got. That he was, because he was not overly tall, but incredibly strong, 
he'd get under the pads of the offensive line that was trying to block him and just shed him real quickly. He brought a lot of intensity, but, you know, it's just funny. All those different Super Bowl marks and so on, all by guys who were not drafted. That, that's what makes, like, the whole draft. That's why the whole lottery ticket thing comes in, because you just never know. Like, look at all the, like, for example, guys like RG3 and, like, Trent Richardson, for example, guys who are, like, coming out of college. Next big thing, um, I'm trying to remember the name of the offensive lineman back. I think in the 89 draft, who was declared, like, the next big thing. He was on Sports... That would be Tony Mandarich. That's it, Mandarich. He um, was on the cover, I believe, of Sports Illustrated, too. Went right behind uh, Troy uh, right behind Troy Aikman as well. Yeah. Um, and even, too, with drafting, I actually saw... Some, I, think it, I think it was you or someone else who basically said that in 2004, 2005, 2007, the pick after the Raiders made is someone who's either going to be in Canton one day... Or is in Canton with Larry John. Well, I've uh, seen that one, but okay, yeah. that's not. Well, go back to the 1989 draft. These okay. were the top five picks in order. Okay. Yeah. Troy Aikman. Yes. Tony Mandarich. Yes. Barry Sanders. Derek Thomas. Deion Sanders. Four of those five now live in Canton, Ohio, forever. Yeah. Well, they're renting space. Let's put it that way. Yeah. So. Yeah, uh, and you know what's funny about Tony Mandarich? With all due respect to him and so on, he there have been guys who have been bigger busts than he has. Okay, he actually came back and played in league, even though he struggled with the Packers. He came back and played guard, I believe, for the Colts for a year or two. So he wasn't to me a bust. This uh, Jamarcus Russell was a disaster. Okay, there are other guys who've been picked in the first round who've never even made the field. Um, uh, so, I'm not saying that Tony Mandarich wasn't a big disappointment, okay? But sometimes, because he was on the Sports Illustrated cover, because he was known as the Incredible Bulk, that was the cover title and so on, he gets the label as, like, the biggest bust. But I, you know, I think since then, to be honest with you, there's been some real disasters, even more so. Oh, no, I agree with that. It's just the Mandarich thing is something that comes to mind because I saw an NFL network, like their top tens, when they're just trying to run program. And that, oh, yeah. I believe the 1989 class is like, up there with the top draft classes of all time. Right. Yeah. Well, so I, yeah, I mean, as far as a, um, well, you know, it also was in 1983, okay? The John Elway uh, draft. Uh, 1989 was top heavy, okay? Um, as far as uh, the four of the five, but you go back to 83 and everybody talks about, or a lot of people talk about, I hate when I say everybody, um, everybody talks about, uh, you know, Jim Kelly and Dan Marino, John Elway, who are all in the hall of fame and so on. But 1983 also gave us, and I'll probably leave a few, Eric Dickerson, Bruce Matthews, Daryl Green, all in the hall of fame as well. Okay. Um, and by the way, in the eighth round that year, um, the Bears picked up some guy named Richard Dent in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> so, um, you know, you just you just look, and that's the, to me is that's the fascinating thing about the draft is you can't tell. And the one thing I've always enjoyed about the draft more than anything else is it's not so much who gets picked, but who's doing the picking. Okay, when you had Ron Wolf and you had Bill Polian and um, you know, right now, Rick Spielman and Chris Ballard and these guys, you know, you know the Bills were picking last, next to last all the time in the first round because they kept on losing the Super Bowl. And somehow they kept that thing alive because they always still would find a good player. Um, 
back then and so on. And that was, uh, let's see, that was pre-Jacksonville and Carolina during their kind of run there and so on. So it was, um, there was only 28 teams in the league at the time. Of course, now we're at 32. So um, that's the kind of stuff that's, that, that makes the draft very interesting to me. Exactly, because even too, I've heard stories where like there's not so much bickering and fighting on the Thursday of the draft where guys like they know who they're taking, but it's that day two and day three, like you said, when like the more or less like the scouts are having more input, like director of player personnel, like those kind of guys. Like that always brings me back because I'm actually reading a book right now about the New England Patriots. I've mentioned on here before called The Dynasty by uh, Jeff Benedict. A really, really great read, and I was just—I'm just on the whole because it goes back like ways, ways to the '60s with Robert Kraft. But it was mentioning the 2000 draft and how with the whole Brady draft process, and it was because Belichick had a gut feeling. It wasn't like anything else. It was just the fact that Belichick saw what he could do. I'm trying to remember the name of the scout, but they were just watching all these people fall, and they were like, "Brady's still there. Brady's still there." And then at 199, when they didn't even need a quarterback, they took Tom. So it just goes to show that hey. Just because you wait to draft someone, it doesn't always mean they're going to be a bust or they're not going to live up to their potential. Like, we see it perfectly with Tom. Well, you see that reaction from fans and, to a degree, some media as well. Yes. Uh, the first day of the draft is over, and they think they think the draft is done. And, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, round two gets very, very interesting is because sometimes some of those guys who you thought were going to be in round one slip down to round two. And, uh, and sometimes unexpectedly that you did not expect to get somebody, um, in round two like that and so on. Um, I remember the the one year, uh, that, uh, the lions, uh, orchestrated the deal with the chiefs because the chiefs kind of tipped their hand and, uh, they wound up getting an extra two and, uh, they took Benny blades, who was a great safety for the lions. Um, and then in the second round, they got, uh, Chris Spielman. Exactly. It's just like simple things. Like even last year, I remember there was guys like T. Higgins and like Xavier McKinney, guys like that who kind of just fell into the laps. And even last year, I'm going to go back to the Pats when they drafted Kyle Duggar out of I forget the school name, but it was a very small school, and a lot of Patriot fans were going, "Huh?" And like, why do you go him? But then you see that look, it's not just the GM who sees something in the player; it's a collective effort. No, yeah, no. You listen, the smart GM relies on his staff. Exactly. That's the okay. point I was trying to get at. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Okay. It's, you know, it's impossible for one man to do all that. And one man doesn't do all that. That's why, um, you know, it, it's the same thing with the quarterback and the coach. It's not all the coach and it's not all the quarterback. It's got to be everybody together. So it's, you know, it, it, some people like to focus too, just too much on the individual's um, and understandably stuff. I mean, there's some great talents and there's some great stories and, and all that different kind of stuff and so on. But you got to, you, you really got to understand what it takes to build a football team. It takes a good front office, it takes a good coaching staff, and it takes talent. Okay. You can have good talent and you can have good coaching, but if your front office is letting you down, it's going to be short lived success. And it's it, it, it's it's proven out over the years. It's just like, you know, for all of some people don't want to talk about defense anymore, and it's a quarterback league, and it's an offensive league, and yada yada yada. I've now watched th- the last three Super Bowls, and twice a team didn't score a touchdown. Yeah, like even 
the one position I feel like for the longest time that went so unnoticed by the fans is of the of the casual eye is the offensive line. Like we now see in the NFL, like we saw it with Tampa this year, how they improved, but how much a good offensive line or even to having good backup offensive line. Like a lot of people were complaining about how, oh, Kansas City was without Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz and their backups, uh, Wiley and Remmers weren't doing well. But Tampa was playing without one of their starting offensive linemen, Alex Kappa, for the whole playoff. So it just goes to show how much those depth signings can truly help a team. And I only say the offensive line thing just because I feel like how unnoticed it goes. Because look, if you have a good offensive line, your quarterback's going to be able to perform well. Well, I, I, I would make this case very seriously. Um, if you could give out a Super Bowl, a, a season-long MVP for a team, the Eagles in 2017, their offensive line was huge, absolutely huge. Um, and they lost Jason Peters for half the season and were able to replace him. They kept that continuity. And the job that Dante Scarnecchia did in 2018, and especially in the postseason, okay, when they ran over the Chargers um, and then outlasted the uh, Chiefs and then won that, you know, that wild 13-3 epic struggle against the Rams. But they ran the ball for, I want to say, at least 140 or 150 yards in each of those three playoff games. Dante Scarnecchi and that offensive line performed to the max. Scar is one of the best offensive line coaches probably in NFL history. Like, Mm -hmm. even two in that game, like, there was instances where Brady wasn't getting touched. Like, I remember the Kansas City game so perfectly where he completed three passes on third and long to convert first downs in overtime where you do that because your offensive line is going to give you a good clean pocket to get the ball off and to for you to succeed like as much as it is about that we're in the age of the mobile quarterback now having good pocket time and having a clean pocket goes a long way for a quarterback success no question about it i mean it's it, it's still a game in the trenches and you know, the chiefs were hurting and it wasn't just like they were losing they lost both of their starting tackles. They lost two really, really good tackles. Mitchell Schwartz was gone for longer than Eric Fisher. Mitchell Schwartz is one of the most – he took kind of a, a backseat publicity-wise to Joe Thomas all those years in Cleveland, okay? But he was very, very efficient with them. And, you know, I, I, I still can't believe the Chiefs were able to get him in free agency. Uh, but he was a game-changer for them. So, yeah, the, the trenches – that will never stop being important. You just, you know, if you really, listen, we saw Patrick Mahomes throwing passes from his knees because he couldn't get any time, okay? That offense, the fact that they were they settled for three field goals is almost mind-boggling, okay? But give credit to Tampa, um, who learned from the first time they played them, and it paid off. Exactly, and even too, one thing that not a lot of people were noticing as well is that they were without one of their best offensive linemen from last year, uh, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif all year, because he was, uh, he's got his MD and he's been up here in Canada helping battle COVID because he's, uh, he's working on, I believe, an extended care home right now, just like helping the fight. He was the first player to opt out and won an award for Canadian Athlete of the Year for that alone, my, apart from the Super Bowl. So that's just something to point out as well, because I, I always have a special connection to him, just obviously fellow countrymen. Absolutely. Yeah, that's something I wanted to get in. Um, but the like this this is the time of year that like as a football fan you just have to appreciate. Like a lot of people look at it now and go, oh, like 
we'll see what happens next season. But then, look, a lot of teams are going to change. Like, there's even to, like, Tampa was saying at their victory parade how, like, Mike, Mike Evans made the promise of, like, I'm going to give back money so we can sign everyone. But when it comes down to brass tacks, this is the time of year where Jason Light, who is, a, I have to say, has built a very good draft class, and it's gone unnoticed, picking up guys like Winfield, Bunting, um, Lamonte Davis for agency, Devin White. But Tampa's got some question marks now. Like they're that kind of team where it's, hey, can you sign guys on the cheap to keep them, or do you want to try to run it back with the same uh, defense? So they have, they have a lot of questions because there's certain guys on offense who I feel like will be back, but that's a that's a very interesting team as the Buccaneers this offseason. Well, they have three monsters in the front seven yes. that can become free agents. Dominic and Sue, a sack and a half in the Super Bowl, by the way. Um, Shaquille Barrett, you know, enough said. He was a franchise player. Um who they managed to sign to tender, and that was almost 10 U.S., no pun intended, um, for a little while. Um, he didn't have the sack total that he had during the regular season, but he was enormous in the NFC title game, and he chased Mahomes all over the field. And to me, Levante David is, in, you know, the job that Levante David and Devin White did um, throughout the year, and especially in the playoffs, um, you, you, you know, we had co MVPs of the Super Bowl in Super Bowl twelve with uh, uh, with the Cowboys, um, and it's the only time it's ever happened. Okay, uh, Harvey Martin and Randy White. Um, I mean, that pass rush was all over Craig Morton and so on. I know that's a long time ago, but you could have made a case. I know Tom Brady got it. You could have made a case that Devin White and Levante David could have been co MVPs to Super Bowl fifty five. Um, one point I want to make just before we wrap up is um, the uh, obviously the NHL has the Conn Smythe Award, which is the playoff MVP. If they had that in the NFL, I think Devin White wins that award because he made some significant plays even to in the game. And he, and he missed the first wild card game with COVID, but or because he was on the protocol list. But that New Orleans Saints game, he had some key defensive plays, and even two against like Green Bay and then Tampa, or not Tampa against Kansas City. Excuse me for Tampa, he made. Some key plays where if you look at a complete playoff MVP, it's him. Like, even going into the Super Bowl, he was my pick to win Super Bowl MVP. Like, I always had a feeling it was going to be the winning quarterback. But you could have, you're 100% right, you could have easily made a case for David and White, which I believe is the best one-two punch linebacker combo in the NFL. Yeah, and, and then again, they have some, you know, Chris Godwin and Gronkowski and Antonio Brown. And they've got some neat, you know, free agents pending there. But, you know... Let's be honest. They're they're not a Super Bowl champion without that defense. Okay, that to me was the difference. And again, that's not taking anything away from Tom Brady. Um, you know, him and Rob Kronkowski saved their best for the final game of the year. Um, their offensive line was much improved this year as well. I credit Jason Light for that as well. But defensively, the job they did chasing Patrick Mahomes all over the field. I mean, remember when they played each other? the first time of the year, uh, first game, which was actually the, the last game the Buccaneers lost in Week 12. Um, Tyree Kill had 200 yards receiving in the first quarter. First quarter! And, um, you know, it did, for the most part, was, you know, almost invisible in this in this rematch. Exactly, and uh, just one other point I want to make. It's just funny how, to, if you look back at it, both Buccaneers Super Bowls were won because... In the first time, they made Ridge Gannon's life a living hell, and then this time they did it to Patrick Mahomes, where they made him scramble and just run for his life. Like, just something to point out too, because that that Buccaneer defense in two thousand and three is one of the uh, top defense of all time. Well, we know defense.
defense more times than not prevails in these Super Bowls, uh, the better defense. Uh, for what this number is worth, um, the Chiefs were the 17th team to lead pro football in total offense, in other words, yards per game. Um, 17 team and reached the Super Bowl. Those 17 teams owned an 8-9 record in the Super Bowl. It just... Just stuff like that is just mind-boggling, and that's why like I always appreciate having you on. Um, but anyway, guys, we're just, this is a quick conversation. I don't want to take up too much Russell's time. He's a very, very busy man in the football world. But anyway, um, if you just want to tell people where they can find your work and your like, if you want to mention your Twitter handle once again, Russell, uh, go right ahead before we wrap up today. Sure, Max Football Guru. Um, I also want to shout out Julie Boyd, who is my uh, partner with PFG Vibe. Uh, PFG Vibe is another Twitter handle. Julie Noted PFG is her Twitter handle. Um, and as far as the website, we're kind of in the transition right now. But um, if you look up Pro Football Guru at full press coverage, um, you'll be able to find it. Sounds great. Well, everybody, go check out Russell. Um, I just got to say as well, it was a blast having the chance to get to talk to you again today. We'll have to have you on again sometime soon because I always learn something new when I get a chance to chat with you. You got it, sir. All right. Have a good one. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast. Heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com. Hi, I'm Logan Anderson, host of the Say the Damn Score podcast. On my show, I deep dive into the sports broadcasting business by, you guessed it, talking to sportscasters. The show has featured big names like Bob Costas, Kenny Albert, and Vern Lundquist, as well as many up-and-coming broadcasters who you may not know yet, but you will know soon. Whether you're looking for professional development as a sportscaster, different career paths, or if you just want to be entertained by hearing some of the best storytellers in the world tell their own stories, this podcast is for you. You can subscribe to the podcast on all major podcast platforms, or you can visit our website, saythedamnscore.com.